Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Daniel Lowry. This podcast is an extension of the SCV Underground, whose mission is to catalyze gospel movements in Santa Clarita, Los Angeles, and beyond. We discuss all things gospel movements, what they are, methods for bringing them about, and hearing stories from practitioners in the field. Today, we are joined by Nick Warns. Nick is the founder and executive director of Cyclical, He enjoys the regular pattern and rhythm of being both the executive director and director of Cyclical LA, the ministry of the San Fernando Presbytery in Los Angeles. He is also a recognized speaker on church planting, veteran coach for faithful innovation, and is the chair of the board of the church planting program at Fuller Theological Seminary, where he is also an adjunct professor. Nick's finished his first book in 2014 with Dr. Mark Branson, called Starting Missional Churches, Life with God in the Neighborhood. He was also featured in the 2019 IVP release, Sent to Flourish, A Guide to Planting and Multiplying Churches. And he co-edited the 2020 book, Faithful Innovation, Beginning a Conversation for a Post-COVID Church, and released Deconstructing Church Planting, Reconstructing a Post-Colonial and Post-Industrial Pneumatology for the Next Generation of Churches, in 2022. Nick lives with his wife, Whitney, and son, Lee, in Los Angeles, California. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for including me. This is great. Yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm really excited to have you on. I think we uh, had a phone call, phone appointment a while ago, and I have a, a history with the Presbyterian Church. I was a youth pastor for three years, and so... Lord have uh, mercy. Yeah, well, you know, it's actually, just... you know, it wasn't... It was, I went in thinking like, oh no, but it was actually wonderful. <laughs> like I, the yeah, people good. were fabulous. I mean, sure. It takes forever to get things done, but you know, it was, yeah. it was, it was <laughs> fabulous. Like I really enjoyed the high church kind of, uh, model and, and kind of uh, a little more on the liter- liturgical side too. It was, it was sure. fabulous, but, um, cool. yeah. So then when I heard there was a Presbyterian guy out here from Fuller doing some creative ministry things, I thought, man, I need to get to know this guy. And then you've written all these books. Like, I don't know where you found the time, you know, being uh-huh. married with children. Study leave. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I need Study to figure leave. that out. Yeah, I need to figure yeah. that out. So, Nick, let's jump right in. So, typically start our uh, podcast off with some sort of like funny outreach story, some sort of funny ministry story. So, do you have something like that you can share with us? Oh, I mean, there's no shortage of them. <laughs> How self-deprecating to be would be the, the question. You know, one uh, one comes to mind just from last week. We had our cyclical retreat, a bunch of leaders up to the mountains here in Los Angeles, up to Lake Arrowhead, Crestline area. So we're in Crestline. It's our last evening together. And uh, some of the folks we're with want to go check out the the local street where all the restaurants are. So we're at this spot and uh, we, we find ourselves ordering some adult beverages and start talking uh, with this guy named Jimmy and Jimmy's very kind. And, uh, Jimmy also is reminding us that it's karaoke night in this particular spot. So we, some of us signed up for karaoke, had a blast with that. Jimmy was so encouraged by our conversation that we were sitting outside soon after, and he came and sat with us and 
he asked us a very basic question. He said, do you want to see magic tricks? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I was like, absolutely, I want to see magic tricks. <laughs> so he, he showed us some magic tricks. We got along really well with him. He clearly, you know, he had pretty low social, emotional EQ, uh, but still, the conversation emerged. And one of the one of the leaders we were with, he's the director of Cyclical Inland Northwest up in Spokane, just went straight sharing about God with this guy. And you know, there was no one headed to the baptismal font that evening, but the conversation was thrilling. We had a really good time, and uh, now count Jimmy a friend for next time we're in Crestline. Or next time you're doing an outreach and need a magician, right? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> Jimmy. yeah, Jimmy's your guy. So cool, cool. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Nick. Like, where are you from? Born and raised, ministry career. How'd you get to know Jesus? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go real linear. I was I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I, I did not grow up in church. Grew up in a nominally Christian family. I heard about Jesus for the first time at a Young Life camp when I was 18 years old. Had received a baseball scholarship to Grand Valley State University, went to Grand Valley. Uh, I was cut from the baseball team on September 11, 2001. Oh, a tough day. Insult to injury, man. No oh, kidding. Wow. <laughs> uh, but two days later, I was invited to lead an effort to start a Young Life club in Jenison, Michigan. So that's kind of my jump into ministry. Uh, after that, I was thinking about graduate school or doing ministry stuff, decided to go ministry stuff. Uh, I was a Young Life church partner for three years until I was 25 years old, uh, where my wife and I discerned that it was time to do graduate school. So we moved out here to Southern California. I attended Fuller Seminary. I joined a church for the first time. I became a member of a church. That church just so happened to be a Presbyterian church. And uh, my, my memories of seminary are filled with ministry with Glendale Presbyterian Church, not with Greek exegesis and systematics. So yeah, got my education on multiple levels during uh, graduate school at Glendale Presbyterian Church and at Fuller. Right after Fuller, uh, I was fortunate to be a part of a church start called Northland Village Church. Out of Northland Village Church, we were fortunate to partner to start 15 churches in the first five years of ministry. Uh, that turned into our first cyclical ecosystem called Cyclical Los Angeles, which is a ministry of the San Fernando Presbytery. And then my coach and my mentor right away were like, hey, other denominations going to be interested in this. And they were, and they started calling. Uh, so we formed Cyclical Incorporated, which is a nonprofit that I'm now the executive director of. So yeah, from uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan to Southern California, it's been a pretty good ride the last couple of years. Cool, cool. Would you say well, my kids are all young lifers, so we're we're huge fans and uh, the area director out here. We partner quite a bit in ministry. Is, is that how you came to kind of know Jesus in the way that you know Him today through that through that ministry? Yeah, camp experience and had like a, a real cute moment where I was struck by the the wonder and mystery of God's love and thought, all right, let's go for this. Did the old say so at the young life camp? I said so, <laughs> and away it went. Yeah, cool. And so during this whole time with Young Life, you were not part of a of a congregation. You were mm. you like Young Life was kind of your church experience. I mean, I was a consumer at Mars Hill in Grand Rapids. Uh, Rob Bell, love him or hate him, uh, was the person who had started this church. 
And we were all just consumers of his sermons, but we weren't really like members of churches at that time. I didn't even know. I'm still a new Christian, right? I didn't even know that that was a thing at the time. But that that whole Marcel experience did shape a lot about my uh, initial understandings of what church planting was. So that'll be that'll be a fun callback here. In a couple yeah, minutes. That, that's a foreshadowing, as they say, mm-hmm, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear all about that. Uh, I was very much, you know, I'm a Fuller guy as well. So Rob Bell, you know, everybody knows Rob Bell at, at Fuller since he graduated there. So I have listened to quite a few things. Yeah, let's jump off on that a little bit about Mars Hill and and kind of that your formation journey, you know, like the, the major transition points in your life mm-hmm. uh, that have kind of brought you to where you are today, both like, um, in your personal relationship with Jesus, you know, what, what have been the, the, the formative things that you've, you know, maybe, I guess, since we're press trained, that, that sanctifying, you know, process. Ooh, look yeah. at you. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, Hey man, I was, it was three years. I, I, I got a couple of things out of that. Mm-hmm. And then in the church planting, right? Like, how do you go from Rob Bell, Marcel, megachurch to mm-hmm. innovative church planting? Yeah. So love to hear all about that. Sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. So Fuller, I discern, okay, I think I feel called the pastoral ministry. And I remember having a conversation with uh, Clay Schmidt, who is my homiletics professor. I was like, all right, I'm not a part of any tradition. I should probably get ordained, I suppose. <laughs> and he said, well, you want to baptize kids or adults? And I was like, uh, whatever. I don't really care. He said, okay, well, how do you want leadership to move from the top down or the bottom up? I was like, oh, that's it for me. I want to, I want to see a uh, bottom up leadership. He said, well, you're already a part of a Presbyterian church. So why don't you just get ordained Presbyterian? I said, sure. That all sounds good. Uh, so that was a big moment um, for sure. From like young life vibes to, okay, I'm going to become part of a larger, more historical tradition. And then, you know, we went to start this first church called Northland Village Church. And my preconceived notions of starting a church were, or were began with Rob Bell. I didn't know new churches were started. I just thought they magically appeared. And so, yeah, being a, a part of that, I mean, I wasn't really part of that church. I'd show up on Sundays to like sing the songs and listen to a, a sermon. Um, but I thought that's how you start churches. Like you, you're, you're a charismatic figure as a pastor that stands in the middle and gives great sermons and attracts the masses to worship services on Sundays. Uh, that was also probably the extent of my ecclesiology. This is what it means to be a Christian. Uh, you go to church on Sundays, which, you know, there's been a lot of transitions in that over the years. Uh, so I remember uh, we, we started Northland Village Church. It was a launch large model. Uh, we partnered with the Evangelical Covenant Church because the PCUSA is bad at many things. Uh, the front of the line at that moment in time was starting churches, really bad at starting churches. So we partnered with ECC. They gave a really industrial equation for how to start a church, gather at least 50 people, do three preview services once a month for three months, and then have a public lunch afterward kind of a thing. So that's what we did. And it was fine. And we uh, we started this church. Uh, but then soon after, me and Mark Law Branson were talking about writing a book called, started, they ended up being called Starting Missional Churches. And in this time in my life, I was really appreciative of how Mark helped shape my understanding of how new churches could form. So that was a big moment moving away from, you know, trying to be a charismatic leader at the center of things, typically, you know, an ENFP, typically an Enneagram three, typically someone with strengths finder who has woo and is futuristic and strategic, like all these cliches of charismatic figures who start churches. 
to know like maybe introverts can be called to start churches. Um, maybe people who don't want to stand up front and give sermons that they think are awesome can, maybe they can start churches too. So this is where we call, we widened our plausibility structures for who might be able to start churches. So that was kind of at the foundation of Los Angeles. And that's just, you know, let's continue to roll out in all sorts of different iterations for who we understand church starters to be and how we understand the ecclesiologies that form, how, how wide we can go with those, uh, where we still at least hopefully generally stay within some historical frameworks of what makes the church church. So, you know, I listened to a couple of, of podcasts of yours. I've really enjoyed, you know, I don't know if I could say teaching that, that, that you give on it, but about church planting and ecclesiology and things like that. One of the things that I was, um, really found fascinating was, uh, the history of church planting that you brought up of this whole launch large, you know, your preview services, your charismatic leader, like this is not like, this is just something from 20 years or so, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit more, but it's not always been this way. And it's, is it fair to say faddish to a certain degree? Because it will probably not be this way in another 20 years, you know, if, if history repeats itself. So can you give us, you know, our listeners a little bit of like maybe a history 101 of church planting, <laughs> you know, kind of how that's, how that's come about? Yeah, I mean, sure. The, so the, I think that was from that book, Deconstructing Church Planting, um, that I wrote and uh, with the ridiculous subtitle, like serious, the most ridiculous subtitle in history. Uh, do you have no? I don't I can't even remember what the subtitle. Reconstructing, yeah, post-colonial yeah. and post-industrial pneumatology for the next generation. I mean, I need a nap after that subtitle. I, yeah, saying. but I know what you're talking. I, like, I know what the book's about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tremendously I, precise. I, I don't need to read the book. It's funny. Yeah, I mean, so I'll just let's just speak in terms of the United States of America right now. There's been all sorts of iterations of industrial church planting models, right? From the circuit riders moving west, right? Big tent revivalists. This is how you start churches. You move west, you throw a big party, big shindig under a tent. Uh, you share about Jesus. You find people who are committed. Uh, you turn that into a church and you keep going west, right? So that was one um, one. That was really strong after post-World War II. We call it the post-World War II church planting industrial complex. Uh, it was emerging suburbs, right? Mostly denominations would buy a plot of land, build a church building, stick a professional Christian in the middle of that building, and then attract people in suburban areas based off of denominational allegiances. Right, so that one was real popular up till the 80s, where ratios of success on that started to wane. And then, you know, really late 80s, 90s, more of this more evangelical, like launch large kind of model started to take hold across uh, multiple traditions where, I mean, that's, I mean, I already said it, right? You gather a whole bunch of people. Basically, you want to, the goal is to get enough people to sustain a pastor's full-time job. Uh, is kind of at the heart of it, what, what you're trained on. And yeah, you do three previous services, services once a month. On the in-between of those previous services, you do like something in the neighborhood, like a, a barbecue in the park or a cleanup at the beach or you know whatever context you're in. And then you really try and gather as many people as possible 
for that initial worship service where afterward the joke is always, well, wait till week two, week one, there's a lot of people week two, it's going to, there's going to be a lot less people. So be prepared for that. So, you know, and it's a lot of these, you know, I don't want to just poke fun at them. A lot of them were really successful and God used these frameworks to help create a lot of churches. But what we've learned within cyclical Los Angeles and then more broadly across cyclical incorporated, uh, we've learned that there's all sorts of ways that churches can begin. And there's all sorts of leaders who are committed to following the Holy Spirit in their context. And there's all sorts of ways that God shapes communities uh, as a result of these leaders who in like launch large settings wouldn't make the cut, right? Um, But if you can just broaden ecclesiologies and broaden who can do this work, then all of a sudden uh, we have a whole bunch of different ways to start churches at ratios of success that are now higher, higher, I think it's fair to say, than launch large models uh, that came out of the late 90s. Yeah, I don't think that's something that really gets talked about much is the rate of success. Mm -hmm. Because we'll just see like, you know, that church started five years ago and now there's a thousand people and look at all the stuff that they're doing. I don't think people see the other 50 churches that didn't make it. Right. So in, in, could you share with us a little bit of like, what's the success rate? Like what's the, yeah. Currently in church planting, what are, what are we talking about? What are we dealing with? Like, where are we at? Well, it depends on who you're talking about. Right. I mean, a metaphor that I learned that might be good for your listeners is the old uh, mammalian versus reptilian church planting perspectives. So like a sea turtle will lay a hundred eggs and hopefully one or two of those eggs turns into a sea turtle that lays more eggs. Right. And mammalian church planting would be, you'd start like one or two and you take great care of it for many years. And hopefully that entity then becomes a generative or reproducing mammal in the future. Uh, I think the future, that's a false dualism. I think we're going to have both. And when you get rid of these silly equations, these universal equations that people will prioritize over and against discerning the Holy Spirit in their context, all of a sudden we can have rates of quote-unquote success in in a way that honors both the mammalian care for the individual plus the, you know, the throwing of seeds, if you will, or the the planting of many sea turtle eggs. Uh, As long as you're accompanying leaders then we believe that ratios of success can be way higher than, you know, current like launch large models. So I really appreciate what you said about Jesus has used these models and used these churches to, to, to do a lot of good. So I want to, I want to frame this question from that perspective. Okay. Nice. But as the Western world, right, I'll, I'll throw Canada and, you know, Europe in there. Um, declining rates of people that profess Jesus, like to a mm-hmm. to a startling degree. There have been positive aspects of the launch large. What have been, in your estimation, some of the negative aspects or things we haven't really considered that have kind of led us to where we are by only focusing on that model? Mm. Uh, two things come to mind right away. Uh, one that is super hot right now that a lot of people are thinking about, finally, I used to get made fun of. In starting missional churches, I got made fun of for prioritization on decentralizing leadership. Uh, but launch large models are all about centralization of a charismatic figure and trying to gather lots of people to worship services. 
And then if you want to get deeper into the sociology, we can talk about the patriarchy in that as well. So you have like patriarchal leadership who are just telling other folks what to do. And then we have things like the Mars Hill podcast about Mark Driscoll that comes out where people are aware, oh, like accountability is important and toxic leadership is not a good thing. We should probably, even though this person can give a great sermon and attract the masses to a worship service, maybe we shouldn't give these types of people power, right? So that's, thank goodness, I think the church is leveling out there right now. And then the second one, uh, that stands out. It's just reflecting on like what Jesus would think if he came and saw like what Christians do. And let's just stay with America. Like if you read the gospels and <laughs> think about like our Sunday centrism, like, wait, what you all do is you gather for worship services on Sundays and then maybe like <laughs> do some Bible studies in small groups. Like you, did you, did you read about what I invited you to do? And you all are satisfied with this for like 1700 years we've been doing this it just feels laugh i'm sorry i'm laughing it feels laughable to me um but again it's the industrial complex of ecclesiology where people think that christians gather on sundays for worship services and just how far that is from the actual invitations of jesus so whatever we can do to disrupt those places i think will be an important next step for turning the ship around for people actually engaging in the revolutionary work of jesus and the mission of god in their various contexts um good good stuff uh, let's let's keep going, moving forward. So you come to the place where you start cyclical, like you realize you want to decentralize, you want to you want to empower more than that charismatic, maybe um, seminary trained pastor, <laughs> you know, something yeah. like that. So so tell us a little bit about cyclical, and especially what I'm interested to hear about is your i your your thoughts on creating an ecosystem. Sure. Which yeah. I think is just so, it's it's just profound. I'm, I'm part of Novo uh, organization, and we we talk about the same thing: mm-hmm. ecosystems, creating ecosystems. So, share with us a little bit about your your insights on that. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. I mean, I think the term biomimicry is really important right now. I think it's increasingly important for churches. So, biomimicry is taking that which is alive bio and mimicking it mimicry biomimicry and copying it so i mean i was pre-med guy and undergraduate so bio i ended up with biology and chemistry degrees uh, biomimicry is very natural to me so take that and let's let's take it up a notch too when we started thinking about cyclical we certainly wanted an ecosystem but then we wanted ecosystems and then we started thinking about biomes so a biome is like a, a whole bunch of ecosystems interacting together so yeah, with Cyclical Los Angeles, that was the first church starting ecosystem. We were fortunate to start like, I don't know, like 15 or 20 other church starting ecosystems around the United States, Canada, Europe, and Africa. But then we started to think, oh, what if we took all that we learned about faithful innovation through our work in church starting and turned that into more opportunities for the whole of the church, right? So early on with Cyclical Incorporated, the nonprofit that I'm the executive director of, we had a mission statement. That mission statement was to create and sustain ecosystems for starting new churches. And that was lovely and, you know, kind of accurate. Also potentially the least inspiring sentence in the history of humanity. So we want to liven that up a bit. We wanted to give it some space to breathe into the whole of the church. So we went to Simon Sinek's why, how, what frame, which by the way has been really helpful for us. So our why statement now is God's love for the world, inspiring faithful innovation through the church. So that's the center So then the question after that is, how do we do faithful innovation? Well, 
first of all, our bread and butter has been starting church starting ecosystems around the world. And then after that, we started a publishing company called Cyclical Publishing, where we publish four or five books per year. And then we started this thing called Cyclical Full Circle, which works with churches in plateau or decline to help them discern their next fateful step. And that's just the last two years of that, as you can imagine, has had uh, the phone off the hook nonstop. And then we started Cyclical Mediation, uh, which is this group that helps any any of these levels where uh, churches or faithful innovators are gathering. If they can't get through something, they can go to Cyclical Mediation and help walk them through it. And then we started Cyclical Culture, which is our work in, uh, we call, it's our work in B2C. So normally our work right now is business to business. We say it's a business term, but it's like cyclical incorporated with like a national denomination. Uh, this is us trying to get, not doing partnerships with national denominations, but getting to the very practitioners who are doing the work or even the parishioners who are part of the practitioners work. So that's uh, that's been thrilling the last year. We just released this huge platform for like $65 a month where you get therapy, you get spiritual direction, you get synchronous content, you get asynchronous content, you get access to all the books that we've published around church planting. Uh, so yeah, that's been cool to see that roll out. And then lastly, uh, we just partnered with Keller Williams to start Cyclical Property, which is going to be about making that um, property transition uh, more, how can I say it, more gentle, more kingdom of mind, uh, mindful, more uh, land stewardship, mindful, that kind of stuff. And so that's what we're rolling out right now. So all of a sudden you take these six different hows and put match them together and it turns into a biome where hopefully all these different offerings are going to be interacting with each other as we move forward in the coming seasons. Did I answer your question? Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's it's great. So you you mentioned Simon Sinek and his why, how, what. I yeah. Love Simon. He's, you know, he, he could have been that charismatic pastor. Yeah, oh, <laughs> guy, You know what I mean? With 10,000 people for sure. What is the what? So the what's come off those hows, right? So each of those six hows have different what's. So the what's of, let's just say, cyclical property is the latest one we're doing. Uh, there's a certificate for Keller Williams real estate agents. There is cohort groups for people who get the certificate. And then there is a whole bunch of work around like Google ads for identifying business for these real estate agents. So, and then each of the hows have, have multiple what's, like three to five what's on each of them. Okay. All right. So cool. So the why, how, what became the framework for being able to communicate in a better way what the ecosystem is, right? Totally. The, the overarching biome specifically. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, for my pea brain, this is all really confusing. So there's a lot of stuff moving. Yeah. And that why, how, what frame is really effective for my pea brain to like, under, okay, what are we doing again? Okay. That's what we're doing. Uh -huh. uh, so it's a nice way for us to frame out what we're doing as a nonprofit. One of the, I think, beauties of the ecosystem metaphor is that uh, it takes into account the engaging of different organisms, right? So, mm -hmm. so you can't have an ecosystem without them engaging, right? Yeah. H how are we missing that as the church? <laughs> In your estimation, I mean, for some people, it's like goes without saying, but like, I, I don't think that denominations or networks or anything are creating these ecosystems from the sense of like working together. So yeah, I guess my question is how, how are you seeing that we're missing it? And then what's the fruit that you're seeing from, yeah. from doing that? 
Well, I, th- I mean, one of the things you're touching on, I think two things stand out right away. One is back to that pneumatology piece, which is part of that ridiculous subtitle in the book. And uh, the second thing is partnerships. Uh, we learned from our friends in Canada that the number one indicator for the health of a nonprofit is the number of mutual partnerships that the nonprofit has. And churches, they're just, they're not experts at partnerships, right? They, they want to do it all themselves, which you know, some of them do well with partnerships, but a really high ratio. A lot of them don't want to partner. That's weird to me. Like, why not partner? Uh, it allows you to get out there in the neighborhood better. It allows you to form mutual friendships. There's so much fun, like the exciting stuff of life. I mean, as cool as it is to sit around and plan a worship service, <laughs> I mean, compare that with the opportunity to build friendships with other groups. Look, man, around as the a guy that did that for 20 years, let me just say it gets old after about month nine you yeah, know, so you see and like, I've, I've used all of my creative ideas. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing terrible. left. Yeah. Right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So partnership, so yeah, partnership piece. Too. And then the mm-hmm. second one is the, again, just it's the, the lack of imagination and settling for industrial equations. The churches are given the thing. This is what church is. Like, how do we create spaces for imagination so the churches that are tired of doing the same old thing can actually imagine what the spirit of God might be inviting them into next and bring a little spunk and life to that thing. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm biased here, um, but I think that's a really important step for this next generation of leaders. You've mentioned a number of times discerning the Holy Spirit in your context, right? I, mm-hmm. you know, that's not something you hear a lot about, right? Well, for those that maybe come from traditions that might not use the word discerning or the Holy Spirit as kind of the, as, as uh, Francis Chan says, the unspoken God, you know, like the one we don't talk about. What, what, are you, what are you talking about when you say that? Yeah, I mean, Al Roxborough calls this be, becoming detectives of the divine, right? So I, I believe that God is real. Uh, I also believe, well, let me get controversial here. I believe that Jesus is not here. I read the Bible and the Bible told me that Jesus ascended. And what's left? Well, the body of Christ, the church, as empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is with us, who is here. And, you know, invitations of the Holy Spirit for me typically are missiological. So I've read the book of Acts and I see how the Holy Spirit engages and it's always missiological. And it's oftentimes toward generating new initiatives. So how do we become a detective of the divine of the breadcrumbs that the Holy Spirit is leading us toward as individuals and as churches feels like a really important question because running this industrial protocol of Sunday-centric church is not working at a high enough ratio anymore in the West. So what's the next thing? And how do we widen our imaginations? How do we do better at listening to the Holy Spirit as individuals and as a community are all questions that regularly keep me up at night for better or worse uh, in my marriage relationship. (laughs) To get your wife on air and see what she, what she thinks. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> totally. So what does that look like, practically speaking? Like if someone, you know, you're coming across someone, whether it's a pastor or a parishioner, you know, anywhere in between, and they've kind of come to the spot and you're you're helping them to discern the divine, right? What does that look yeah. like? Well, so let's just say for like a cyclical Los Angeles leader, right? Get to get a little more granular here. So I'm still the director of cyclical Los Angeles, right? That's what I do half time director of cyclical Los Angeles, starting churches around LA, and then halftime executive director of cyclical incorporated, which we've already talked about. So 
a cyclical Los Angeles leader uh, will be tasked with the consistent job of discerning the Holy Spirit. How is that done individually? Well, this is the spiritual disciplines conversation. This is become an expert on how you engage with God, how God engages with you, how you can listen, how you can pay attention, increasing ratios in your life where you are paying attention. Like I just dread these moments where I'm just not paying attention. I miss them, you know, I'm too busy watching the next Netflix show or something, missing the opportunities. And that was, so that one's pretty basic. Uh, the thing that I think is really important is, you know, I'm trying to be a good Presbyterian sometimes, and we deeply believe that you discern the Holy Spirit in community. So I think probably, well, I won't say it that way. For me, more importantly, how do we discern the Holy Spirit as a community is really important. So that requires intentionality. That requires really high levels of leadership to get churches to work together to discern what's next for the Holy Spirit. So that can be anything from whatever. There's like some exercises that I'm sure you're well equipped in that your listeners are, but like do a neighborhood exegesis. What does it mean to walk around the neighborhood and pay attention to how God's on the move and things like that? Uh, Cyclical LA leaders, we have these monthly meetings, which I think you've been to one, right? Maybe I wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, Um, it was great. In that, that, there's going to be training and there's going to be time for prayer with each other and the goal of this is to create multi-tiered relationships that help discern the next steps of the Holy Spirit. So when you have a pastor at those meetings, they will be in relationship with a therapist, with a spiritual director, with a coach. They get access to relationships with directors, to cyclical staff. They get access to discerning with their churches. They get ac- access to discerning with different people in their neighborhoods, like business leaders things like that. And then I think most importantly, they get access to one another. So this lonely place of being a faithful innovator is then satisfied with this group of people who, you know, they can listen to all the trainings that we have. I mean, I've been doing this for eight years, I think, listening to these trainings. I don't remember what people said. I'll tell you what I do remember is the relationships from uh, these gatherings and how we discern the Holy Spirit together in conversation, in direct prayer, over breakfast together, at funerals together, you know, things like that. So big picture on that, it's individually, how do you discern the Holy Spirit as an individual? And then how are you setting up systems where you and your church, your community of people can discern the Holy Spirit together as a community? Mm, good stuff. So give us some stories of these people like that you've been working with, Cyclical LA. Tell us how Jesus is on the move. What, yeah. what, what is the, the really good stuff, for lack of a better term? But sure. What, yeah. what is you know? What can I get excited about that cyclical LA is doing, and the people that are involved are doing? Just yeah. the I think I mean for me it's the diversity of ecclesiologies, right? So it's everything from launch large multi-staff models of church that have thousand people connected with their community to the the house church movements with uh, ten people in house churches and people being honored in their call regardless of the amount of people or the, I mean, let's be real, the amount of money that's moving, right? So I love right now some of the decentralized, demonetized house church movements that are happening. I'm a part of one, okay? So I'm a part of this house church. There's like five families. We rotate our homes. And last night, um, I'm going to try and remove myself from the existential nature of what happened last night. But one of our people, 39 years old, just was diagnosed with breast cancer. 
right? So we sat up, we had our regular house church gathering and we set up this whole ritual of anointing her with oil, her with oil, her husband with oil, her one-year-old with oil, all the different families did different aspects, just extremely moving, powerful stuff that's happening in this little house church where there's no centralized leader and there's no money moving. Um, the extent of money moving is nonprofit people will come to the house church and share about their nonprofit and we'll all get our checkbooks out as if that's still a thing, but our metaphorical checkbooks out and um, write checks to folks. So it's anything from that to, you know, how about there's this church that meets in Glendale uh, where, I mean, they're gathering 500 people a Sunday and they have exceptional, powerfully moving moments of worship and, and a Sunday worship gathering. They have exceptional teaching and preaching. They do great job with joining social justice movements around the city. They do great with different affinity-based small group Bible studies. So it's, it's it's that all the way to the to the decentralized house church and then everything on the in-between, right? I think of a church out more toward you where they've been going for 10 years. This is a lovely church of like 100 people doing consistent ministry in their neighborhood. And yeah, I mean, just being a consistent presence of Jesus, a safe place for people to be when they need a place to be. So yeah, I think overarching for me, the encouraging stuff is uh, the the decentralized ecclesiologies. And then, you know, whatever. I heard about Jesus at 18 as a young life kid. I think it's really important to see faith transitions happen from no faith to faith. I think it's uh, really special. So this, this one that we just were fortunate to help start, they just did their baptism class where they're baptizing 16 people next Sunday. Right? I mean, our entire presbytery did not baptize 16 people last year. And this new little baby church called Next Generation Church, mostly first and second generation Mexican immigrants, are doing a worship service. Or that's not even a worship service. They're just baptizing 16 people uh, at their gathering. So that kind of stuff also gets me excited. But that's more biased for me than for some other of our folks. <laughs> no, that's all exciting, man. I think it's, I think it's, the, we're in a, I think a season where there's a lot of different ideas about different ways of doing things, but there's very few examples of those ideas actually being lived out. You know, like sure. there's yeah. lots of people who say, well, we need to change this and we need to change this. But then to actually see examples of like that decentralized, that discerning, yeah. that uh, really highlighting obedience versus fruit. Yeah. So I, I just love the fact that you are, uh, you know, able to share those stories. I'll ask, I'll ask the, this last question. I, I you're not going to necessarily have an answer to this. Okay. So gonna, I want to, I want to, I want to give you that, you know, kind of out, where do you think the church is going to be in 10 years? <laughs> you would just based on yeah. where you're at, what you're going, what, what can, what can we see? I, I mean, in a good sense, not like, Oh, okay. this guy's going down and this guy's going down. Like, you know, sure. like just what is Jesus up to? Globally in the United States and Los Angeles? Any of the above. <laughs> okay. All of okay. the above. Just yeah, what, what, right. Like, so you know so much about history and oftentimes history is, a you know, like the best understanding of what the future will hold, right? Sure. And, and yeah. you're kind of, you're in the midst of working with the innovators. You, you might be totally wrong on this and I'll come back in 10 yep. years and say, Nick, what was this all about? Right? Strike one, strike two, <laughs> yeah, and strike right. three. Yes, all right. But just what's your what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, so big picture on this. So I think we've learned as the church to make fun of the BHAG, which is this question you're asking in the way, right? Remember the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal? Yeah. <laughs> uh, from a leadership perspective, the BHAG, especially in faithful innovation settings, is ridiculous because we don't know. You can throw spaghetti on the wall, prayerfully discern the Holy Spirit moving forward, run faithfully innovative practical theology cycles, and you can kind of work your way into the future but like a five-year plan for a church plant is ridiculous. A 10-year plan is even more ridiculous because you really have no idea what's going to happen. And for those that do have these BHAGs, you do, and if you're an existing church or an existing denomination, you do have data behind you to maybe better present a BHAG. So all that said, the church in 10 years, uh, you all know the decline of people participating in the church, obviously. You know that it was accelerated by COVID, obviously. Personally, and with my full pontification hat on, I think that the Sunday-centric church thing is going to continue to rapidly decline. I think that the age of the expert rather than the expertise of the community is going to continue to rapidly decline. And man, I sure just hope and am prayerful that an actual church resembling that of the way of Jesus, not of industrial models for how to be a Christian in today's world, but Jesus starts to emerge and that's sparked with imagination through the gas of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, it's my hope that we're, we bend more toward a balanced Trinitarian theology, which then better equips the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of experimentation coming. So I'm also very biased there. And I'm actively trying to do that with denominations around the world. But boy, I think 10 years ago, we were saying we can't keep doing this. This like church consumer show up at a Sunday for like sweet worship songs and an inspiring sermon. Like the ratio of people who are satisfied with that is going down and down and down. So we need to make some shifts. And I can't imagine that happening except for being empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, to do so. Good stuff. Thank you. Well, we'll see. Huh? We'll see. I, I happen Lord to, have mercy. I seriously. Happen, I happen to agree with you, but we'll see. We'll see. Nick, if someone wants to get in touch with you or learn more about what Cyclical's doing, God bless them getting apart. Maybe you're the answer to their prayer. You know, sure. How would they? How would they contact you? How would they find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, I think the simplest way, if you're in the Los Angeles area, you can go to the website is cyclicalla.com. My webs, my email is nick at cyclicalla.com. If you're not in the Los Angeles area, for broader cyclical things, it would be cyclicalinc.com, I-N-C, cyclicalinc.com. And then my email there is nick at cyclicalinc.com. That's a good starting point. And then I would just listen and then direct you to the right venues. Nick, thanks so much for joining us, man. Just loved it. Been an honor. Learned so much. So many takeaways. And I know that so many people are going to be uh, inspired and uh, encouraged by kind of what you guys are doing. So thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Thanks for including me. I sure appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. With that being said, thanks for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to check out what we're doing at scvunderground.org. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time.